This last week has uh, been heartbreaking for me. The uh, horrific barbarism of the terrorist attacks in Israel. Again, uh, I just, as a Christian, I care for Israel, but having lived there, uh, having been in, in many of those areas, um, and knowing people there, it's been devastating. It, it's been devastating to follow what has been happening and horrifying to see what's been done. The viciousness, the violence uh, of the terrorists, the loss of life is beyond words. The, the treatment of the innocents, and that's what's always the struggle of terrorism. This was not attacking military bases. This was attacking innocent civilians horrifically and, and intentionally. This has been in plans for quite some time. Where did all that come from? Uh, there's one word that really expresses it, and that's the word hatred. Hatred. Only hatred could motivate people to treat other people in that way. Why is there such a, a, a long history of, of hatred of the Jews? It's, uh, we give it a term, anti-Semitism. Where does that come from? Oh, if we know our history a little bit, we think of the Holocaust, but the hatred of the Jews did not begin with Hitler. Uh, Hitler tapped into a hatred that was already there. Post-World War I, Germany was going through difficult times, and uh, it's our nature to want to blame someone, and so they wanted to blame the Jews and all their problems on the Jews, and so there was a, a hatred to the Jews where they specifically had the plan to exterminate from the face of the earth, every Jew, the final solution was Hitler's ambition. And some six million Jews died in the process. But again, that was, we could trace through history. You can go back to the time of the New Testament. Caesar banished the Jews from Rome for a season. And we could go through century after century and see hostility, violence, uh, dreadful attacks on the Jews even to this day. Why such hate for, hatred for the Jewish people? There aren't that many of them. What is it that causes such a hatred? That's a big topic. We don't have time for that. But if I can give a beginning of a thought, a beginning insight, and I think we could find that in Psalm 83. In Psalm 83, I'll read verses 1 through 4. Asaph, the psalmist uh, appointed by David, says, Do not keep silent, O God. Do not hold your peace and do not be still, O God. For behold, your enemies make a tumult, and those who hate you have lifted up their head. They have taken crafty counsel against your people and consulted together against your sheltered ones. They have said, come and let us cut them off from being a nation that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. That was written a thousand years before Christ, and yet it sounds like it's out of the newspaper today. But do you notice there is a connection? Your enemies who hate you, O God, hate your people. Why hate the Jews? Because they're God's chosen people. 
And so when we see the hatred of the Jews in history and today, that's where it's coming from. It's a hatred of God. The real issue is not the hatred of the Jews. It's a hatred of God who chose them. That's been much in my mind just because it's in the news. And then in the passage before us today in the Gospel of John, our Lord is still in the upper room having celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples for that last time until the kingdom. And then he uh, is giving them words to prepare them for what's ahead. For three years he's been giving them that kind of instruction, but now the cross is the next day, hours away. And he's in the midst of trying to prepare them for the cross and what will follow. He says this starting in, in verse 18. Of John 15. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Do you remember, remember the word I said to you a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Here the Lord is speaking to his disciples as they will go out. And in speaking to them, he speaks to all those who will follow Christ. Now, by way of contrast, if you remember the way the, the closing verse we saw last week, chapter, five verse, chapter 15, verse 17, Jesus said, these things I command you, that you love one another. So the note there was uh, the love of the brethren for one another. And then he instantly moves over to, but that's the love of the brethren. From the world, while you may love one another, recognize from the world you will find hatred. They will hate you. Don't expect love from the world. They will hate you, Jesus said. And so he tells them, don't be surprised by the hatred. If the world hates you, you know it hated me before it hated you. Now, if you think about it, if you look and see, sometimes you might say, well, but, but Jesus was popular. The crowds followed him. When he would show up in a village or in a town or, or even all in between, there would be crowds that would flock to them. Remember the, the feeding of the 5,000 men. And we like to point that out because there are 5,000 men and specifies that. They would have had wives and children with them. So we call it the feeding of the 5,000. We might better call it the feeding of the 15,000 or more. That's a, that's a large crowd to come in here for hours and listen. Though the crowds followed. They liked the miracle of the, of the feeding and, and the healing. <clears throat> that was the amazing thing, especially when Jesus would show up in a town, the disease would vanish. Imagine. Oh, they, they liked that. They liked his preaching that kind of was in the face of the Pharisees. They liked the, his popularity that gave them hope. Is this the one who's going to stand up finally to Rome? Well, but they, that's the point they had their agenda for Jesus. And when Jesus didn't meet their agenda, the hatred came. There was quite a bit of animosity. We see it from the religious leaders, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. He wasn't towing the line with their beliefs. He wasn't one of them. And so they resisted him. They resented him. They worked against him. 
That was what was so amazing to see to uh, Pontius Pilate. Why are these Jewish leaders turning over one of their own to me? He's not a terrorist. He's not a murderer. They could under, he could understand that. This person has been killing our people. Oh, I understand you want him executed, but Pontius Pilate was enough of a politician. He kept thinking, what's going on behind the scenes? What, what are you about? But that shows you something of the hatred of the Jewish leaders. And the crowds were angered. They didn't like the challenges of his teaching. And they didn't like the fact that he didn't meet their expectations. Haven't you heard that expression again and again? Well, the God I worship would do this and not do that. And they were trying to dictate to God and the flesh what he should do and what he should not do. And of course, on this, the night before the cross, there's no question. And Jesus is trying to prepare them. Hatred? Watch for it. We'll be walking down to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And we'll be interrupted by one of our own Judas Iscariot leading an armed host to arrest me. And then there'll be the trials, the beating, the mocking, the savage torture. And then the cross. Hatred? They'll see it tomorrow. They'll see it this night. But think, if the world could hate Jesus in all his perfection, honestly, each and every one of us, you could find something worthy of hate, or at least dislike, right? There's a lot of times we're, you know, our own sin comes out and, and can bring out sin in others. But Jesus was perfect. He was without sin. He was holy. That was troubling. He was loving. He was kind. Truthful. But if, the, if, 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 if you could hate Jesus, certainly, in all his perfections, what about his disciples who follow him imperfectly and live imperfectly? We can expect no less. So don't be surprised by hatred from the world. Opposition and persecution. Just think about what they did to Jesus. Think of how they treated Jesus. Notice what he says in verse 19. If, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you were not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Here's the problem. As believers, we are not part of the world. And that's one of the times we have to look and say, what do you mean by world? Sometimes we mean world that's this uh, physical place, the globe. Uh, and there's different ways the world can speak of all humanity. But that word world here is, is a word you know, cosmos. It literally has the idea of, of order. And so when he's thinking here of the cosmos of the world, he's thinking about that, that ordered of, of, of hu massive humanity that is, that is united together, that is organized together, in their rejection and rebellion against God. So the world is that system, that, 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 that organization of humanity that rejects God. He says, you're not part of the world. 
you were born as part of the world, but you've been born again out of the world. We start this life as a member of that organization, that system that resists, resents, and rebels against God. But when God works to draw us to himself, we are born again out of that world. We're separated from the world. And that's what he says. It's, it's not that somehow we all of a sudden had a better idea. Notice what he says here. Yet because you are not of the world, and why are, you, why are we as believers not a part of that world system any longer? I chose you, but again he says, out of the world. We were in the world, but by his grace he drew us out of the world. So that's always a reminder to us as we look at the, the wickedness of the world around us. One, we were part of it. And the only thing that makes us different is God's grace. It's not that we're better than the world, that we're smarter, we're not gooder than the world. And that's where we look at them. We know that expression, there but for the grace of God go I. That's not some pious platitude. That is reality. We should be able to look at the sin around us, whatever it might be, and say, but for the grace of God, I could be doing that right now. Whether it be the violence and, 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 and hatred in the streets of America that we see in some of our large cities, it's the hatred that's there in Israel right now. I could be, I could be a part of that, but for the grace of God. And that causes me to drop on my knees in gratitude and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. And, and gives me a heart that recognizes the lostness of the lost. But we are different by God's grace. And it's by God's grace that we're distinct and different. And he says, and because of that, because we've been separated out, the world sees we're different and it resents us, it resists us, it brings on hatred. The very fact that we are different and have differing convictions causes people to hate us. It's something, it, there have been interesting studies done that when people are different, it instantly brings animosity. Uh, there, there's a list of examples I could give, but one that was really interesting... The man who invented the umbrella. You ever think about that? Who invented the umbrella? We get the impression sometimes it must have been a golfer. They have these great big umbrellas. I, I, but, but it was someone in Britain because it's always raining there. And you know what? When he was walking down the street with his umbrella, instead of saying, that is a great idea. Do they carry those at Walmart? No, he met all kinds of, of opposition, of, of hostility. You know, what are you doing? Because he was different. And when the world looks at us and sees us, that we, we don't follow in their ways. And especially maybe when you've been brought out and you're, 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 the gang you used to run with sees you saying, no, I, I, I don't do that anymore. What's their response? You're judging me. You're hating me. And so Jesus says, 
Remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they, if they kept my word, they'll keep yours also. So he connects the dot, the dots. Uh, he says, if we're servants of Christ, and if they persecute Christ, our master, they will persecute us. On the other hand, if they follow Christ, they'll join us. Paul made a similar prediction in 2 Timothy 3.12. 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul said this, Yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. We've often been accused when we share the gospel of not telling somebody. By the way, I need to tell you the other side of this. And it's like when you sell a car to someone, oh, it's great, it's fast. Uh, it, can, it can do this incredible speeds. Oh, yeah, there's the other side of it. The tires wear out quickly, and the, and the cost of fuel is very expensive. <laughs> we often, sometimes we give them both sides, but when we tell someone, you, know, you need to trust Christ, oh, by the way, when you do, you are going to gain a very powerful enemy. His name is Satan. We, we rarely tell them. Would you today like to um, join the team that Satan hates and wants to destroy? Well, what he's saying is, is all who desire to live godly in Christ will face persecution. Just some thoughts as I, as I think about just these, even these verses. So don't be surprised or discouraged by the rejection and persecution that comes from the world. It, it comes from following Christ. Don't be surprised. Honestly, our persecution is pretty minimal right now, isn't it? I read about the horrific treatment of our, our brothers and sisters in places like India. Churches burned down, pastors beaten up, our Christian sisters abused horribly. In places like Africa, the same kind of thing's happening. And we're afraid that someone's going to stop talking to us. Or worse, unfollow us. The hatred and persecution comes because they can see we are not with them but with Christ. And that leads to questions. They, so the, what Jesus is saying is when they can see you're not of them but of Christ, that's when the persecution comes. And so the question we might ask is, are we suffering because we're following Christ? Are we being persecuted? Are we experiencing hatred and animosity? Can you think of times in, in, in your life when because of your, 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 your loyalty to Christ, there was some kind of pushback, some kind of rejection? Some of it's pretty minor. I can remember when I finished college and had to go to get a medical, a physical to, before I went to seminary. And our family physician, who had been you know, a beloved physician for years, and just to show you how old I am, when, uh, when we got sick as children, the doctor would come to the house. Now, it wasn't in a horse and carriage, but they called it house calls. I can remember uh, his coming and opening up that little bag and everything he needed was in that little bag. And so when I stood in his 
office as a young adult finishing school, getting ready for seminary, and told him what I was doing, and he just he shook his head and said, what a waste. That stung the more because of the respect and admiration and affection I had had for him for years. That's pretty minor, though, isn't it? Are we suffering because we follow Christ? If we're not suffering, why not? Is it because our society, our culture loves Christ? If you think that, look around. But if we're not suffering because we're identified with Christ and not identified with our world, is it because they can't see the difference? I have to ask myself the same question. One of the challenges is, are we trying to win the world and bring light to the world by being like the world instead of being like Christ? That's a constant strategy uh, people will try and use. Well, the way to win the world is to be like them. I'm reminded of the uh, church growth expert. And he was very popular, massively you know, an expert on these things. And when he was going to plant a church, the first step he took is he went into the community and he surveyed all the unbelievers and said, what is it you want in a church? And that was going to be how he designed his church. Why would you go to lost people to say what a church should be like? I look at the churches today and so often the focus is on entertainment and wow instead of on Christ and his word. I've read of churches that do sermon series instead of like we do on the gospel of John. Someone says, what do you do at your church on Sunday mornings? We, we study the gospel of John. Well, how long do you do that? I, I don't know. I was in grade school when it started. <laughs> But we, but we walk through books of the Bible together. And, and, but, but some churches, they, they, they build sermon series on, on current movies. I read of one church that had a, a Barbie theme. They told everybody to wear pink on a Sunday. And they had things where you could take pictures and everything was in pink. One reason we won't do that in our church is we, we can't afford all the pink paint. But... And, and, I, and I have to confess, I've not even seen the Barbie movie, but something about this seems terribly wrong, doesn't it? That when we come together, we think about, we're talking about Barbie. I look at some of these churches, I'll, I'll, I'll see, you know, videos, and, and, and it, when I see the, the pastor up there, and, or the, the music team that's up there, that probably looks a lot to me like a rock concert. You know, even with the smoke machines and the choreography and, and they're trying to look more like a rock concert why because that's what the world is looking for when they gather in groups you can get so much energy going and the way they act is like you're at a rock concert and the preacher even wants to act like he's a rock star and dresses like a rock star I have to confess that's a major temptation for me <laughs> Not, huh? But what are they trying to do? What is it that draws the world? Let's do that. What did Jesus say? No. You be like Christ. And what it will do, it will draw the world's opposition. We don't win the world to Christ by being like the world. 
We win the world to Christ by being like Christ. I read one of these uh, church growth groups, and they, they were having a lot of these churches that gathered, pastors that gathered together. They, you know, they went to the guru again to, to hear how you know, the new strategies and such. And, and he said, you know, I have a true confession. We have a problem. We, we win them with all the, the stuff we do. And then when we tell them, now what we want them to do is to follow Christ. He says it's kind of like a bait and switch. And, and it's causing problems. Because what we try to, we win them to the stuff. But then we tell them now, walk away from the stuff and follow Christ. And it's not working. But the question is, are we, again, if we're not sensing somewhere maybe with family, maybe with friends, maybe in different environments, but because of our likeness to Christ, are we finding opposition, rejection? People that avoid us, people that unfriend us. Mr. Spurgeon, and this is troubling because this was written in the mid-1800s, said, a time will come when instead of shepherds feeding the sheep, the church will have clowns entertaining the goats. I think he was a prophet. <clears throat> well, again, the issue here is really ultimately hatred toward God. And we see that in verses 21 to 25. But notice verse 21. All these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. The hatred and persecution will be because of Jesus. It, that, it's going to show where their real hatred is. Their, their real rejection is not us, it's Jesus. And the more we're like Jesus, the more we're going to see that rejection. We will experience that hatred because of our relationship to Jesus Christ. And if you think about it, if people hate us because we're like Jesus Christ, that's about one of the finest compliments someone can, can pay. I hate you. You're just like Jesus. Thank you. Um, we see that, for example, I was reminded of the passage in Acts chapter 5, verses 40 and 41 to kind of narrow it down. In Acts 5, 40 to 41, they agreed with him, and when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, this is speaking of the Jewish leaders who are responding to the, the apostles preaching Jesus, they called for them out of jail and had beaten them. They commanded them they should not speak in the name of Jesus, and then they let them go. Verse 41, so they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Beaten. The typical way they would have done that is with rods. And the typical Jewish punishment was 39 uh, whips with the rod. You can imagine they must have been hurting. But as they went out stinging and maybe limping... There were smiles on their faces. <laughs> they did that because they're angry at Jesus. They look at me and think, I, I remind them of Jesus. 
And so I don't know if they did it in the first century, but maybe they high-fived each other. And said, wow, they saw us and thought of Jesus. Why is there so much opposition to Jesus? He says, because they don't know God. Because he said, they do not know him who sent me. Jesus was rejected because he represented the Father. Now, who don't know God? Who don't know the one who sent? Well, he's talking about the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders, this, this vast crowd of religious people. So that's one of our problems in the, in, in, in the West today, in America today. We still have, we have a, 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 it's diminishing greatly, but there's still a little bit of Christian culture. In, in Texas, it used to be that when you met someone, you could almost ask them, where do you go to church? And just assume there'd be some kind of an answer. The answer would be instructive. They could, when they tell you which church, oh, I see. Or, oh, you, you might be a brother in Christ. But less and less do you see that. When I first came to Terrell, you would never see on Sunday morning or even Wednesday nights, you would not see activities going on in the, uh, sponsored by the community. But now, you drive by the soccer fields on Sunday morning and it's packed. Times have changed. I'm reminded of what Oz Guinness calls the cut flower Christianity. We still have uh, the, the, the beauty of cut flowers, but the problem with cut flowers is what happens to them? They start to wilt. Well, that's where we are as a culture. We're, we've got the, they're trying to have some of the benefits of being like Christ without being like Christ. And really what that boils down to is the opposition to us is because of our relationship to Jesus. And the reason they have opposition to Jesus is because he's from the Father. The heart issue is a rejection of God. And so Jesus is telling his disciples the fundamental issue is spiritual. It's not, we, we focus on the cultural things. He's saying it's a spiritual issue, it's a heart issue. Those who know and love Christ will know and welcome us as family. That's one of the things I love when I've been able to travel to, to other cultures, whether it be here in the States uh, or, or across the world. It's amazing to gather with people that often you may not even know the same language and struggle to communicate and yet find, but we're brothers and sisters in Christ. This is wonderful. Never met before, but we're family. That's for those who love Christ, but those who don't know God and don't know salvation are going to see us ultimately as enemies. We remind them of someone that they, they don't like, God. And they respond accordingly. And that's growing in our culture, and it's, it's more and more rampant overseas. Have you ever heard the expression today, haters? It's almost a common expression to, oh, oh that person's a hater. What are, they, what are they typically referred to when they say that? More and more, they're talking about people who hold Christian worldview and Christian values. You're a hater because you're saying, this is wrong. We say with Christ, something is morally wrong, rejected by God, then we must be haters. When in fact, they hate us for spreading God's truth. It's really, isn't that one of the ironies? 
They attack Christians for being haters. They hate Christians for just speaking the truth, especially about moral issues. Normally, they're not going to hate us for saying we believe in the doctrine of the Trinity. We believe in a God of creation. No, no, more and more. Hate. Are you denying science? Hate. Are you denying this religion is true? But, but the biggest area where we see it seems like in the moral realm. You're a hater. Just saw a recent example. I think it was in September. I mentioned before this uh, in Finland, a member of parliament. Her name is, uh, I'm not exactly, I'm going to try and pronounce her name, Peiva Reisenen. And if she hears this, she can call me and tell me how to pronounce her name. Um, a year ago, she, was, she stood trial for hate speech. And her hate speech, that, that one of the biggest things of hate speech, is she took a picture of her Bible, the passage that's in Romans 1 that speaks about homosexuality, and she posted a picture of a page of a Bible to her Facebook page. And for that, she was put on trial a member of parliament. It's like a member of Congress, a leader. She had uh, served as a member of parliament for 25 years. She was put on trial for hate speech, and she was acquitted. This was a, more than a year ago now. Well, and, and, and also tried with her was a bishop, uh, Johanna Pojola. That's not how you pronounce it, I'm sure. Um, but he was also uh, accused of hate speech for his positions on the issue. Well, well, recently, like in the last couple of weeks, they were brought before the appeals court in their country. The prosecutor can appeal an acquittal. And so they're being brought back before the court to, uh, to argue against acquitting them of hate crimes. The prosecution, I'm going to read from an article in, uh, from the Christian Post I saw. The prosecution kicked off the proceedings with arguments against the defendants, focusing on a booklet written by the Ray Sanin, the, the politicians, nearly two decades ago, stating that the content was insulting and violated sexual rights, the prosecutor said. The prosecutor argued that the use of the word sin in her booklet was degrading and that her interpretation of Bible verses was criminal. The point isn't whether it's true or not, but that it is insulting. The prosecutor stated, And he went on, we can limit freedom of expression in the outward expression of religion. You can cite the Bible, but it's her interpretation and opinion about the Bible verses that are criminal. Racinan is facing multiple charges related to the content of the 2004 booklet, her participation in a radio debate in 2019, and a tweet containing Bible verses directed at her church leadership. The bishop is also facing trial for publishing her pamphlet. Male and female, he created them. Homosexual relationships challenged the Christian concept of humanity nearly 20 years ago. The charges against both defendants fall under the war crimes and crimes against humanity section of Finnish law. War crimes and crimes against humanity for using that that, that word, 
sin. And so, the amazing thing is, she's the hater. And that's where we are more and more finding ourselves. We are called haters because we speak the truth. When in reality, the most loving thing you can do to someone is speak the truth. Rather than leave someone in sin, rather than leave someone in confusion. Christ, in this passage before us, is making it clear if someone is not a follower of Christ, they don't know God. So one, he's saying, we're going to face opposition as we follow Christ. But, do, but notice too, again, and I, to underscore this, what he says is the reason people hate us is because they hate Jesus. And the reason they hate Jesus is because they don't know God. I'm reminding us of, the, of a reality that it's, it, we can't say that, well, a lot of times people say, well, they may not be Christian, but they, they love God. They have their own way to God. Jesus is saying, no. If you do not know Christ as Savior, you do not know God. If someone is not a follower of Christ, they don't know God. Now, again, someone could, could hear that and say, well, what a hateful thing to say. One, it's the truth. And secondly, I'm just quoting Jesus. And remember, he says that so tellingly in the previous chapter, chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he went on to finish that. No one comes to the Father but by me. <clears throat> in our day, we want to say that all religions are taking paths to the same goal. But Jesus is saying, they may be taking paths, but they're heading in the wrong direction. The only way to God is through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, if I were to walk into a burning building and I were to tell people, that's the way out. And they say, but I want to go in that direction. Is it unloving for me to say, no, that way leads to destruction. This, this, there's only one way out, and it's this way. Is that unloving? Is that hateful? Our world thinks so. In verse 22, we go on and Jesus says, if, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me, Jesus said, hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. Now when he said they would have no sin, he's not saying that man is sinless until Jesus came. He's talking about the sin of rejecting God's clear revelation. They now have the sin of rejecting Christ. So Christ came among them, lived the perfect life, preached God's truth inerrantly, did miracles to confirm that he was from God. If they could see all that and reject it, they would a greater sin. Now they are extremely accountable. The issue is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, by the way, he says, you know, it's when they're rejecting Jesus, they're rejecting God. 
That's this, the flip side of that is to receive Jesus, is to receive God. And one of the things I want to remind us is one of the best arguments for the gospel is Jesus Christ. You know, you hear about the concept of apologetics, which literally means to, to, to make a defense of. Well, the greatest apologetic, the greatest defense of the Christian message is Christ. You know, people will say, well, how do you know the Bible is true? Because Jesus believed it. And if Jesus is God, and he says the Bible is his word, case closed. You know, you don't have to quote 85 philosophers if God came and dwelt among us. And, and here's what he said about the, the Old Testament. In Matthew 5.18, Matthew 5.18, Jesus says, For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass away from the law till all is fulfilled. He's, he says not one jot. That's, the, the, that's referring to the Hebrew letter Yod. That's the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Not one tittle. That is the smallest part of a Hebrew letter. And that's how you, that, it's just this little hook. Uh, that's what would distinguish between a D and an R in Hebrew. He said, what he's saying is not God's written word is, is inviolable. Speaking of the Old Testament. Well, wait a minute. It's all a myth. Wait a minute. It's not true. Jonah, that's just a myth. But Jesus talked about Jonah as being a real person. Am I going to listen to the, the newspaper writer or teacher in a college campus that says it's a myth? Or do I believe Jesus? God in the flesh. Who was there? You see, so the issue is Jesus. Can I be sure that the only way to God is through faith in Jesus Christ? Well, can I believe God himself? That's what Jesus said. So when you're, maybe when you're struggling with questions, a doubt may arise or you're talking to someone, take it back to Jesus. God among us, he believed the Bible. That's good enough. He said there's only one way to God, and that's through faith in him. That's good enough. I remember as a young Christian one time, I was parking there in the parking garage, and I don't know, all of a sudden a bunch of questions started swirling in my mind. And I remember I just sat there and I said, wait a minute, you've already resolved this. You trusted in Jesus Christ. Those questions have been answered in Jesus Christ. And I went in and left those questions back in the parking garage. The best defense of the gospel is Jesus Christ. How can a man be right with God? What did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. In verse 25 he says, But this happened that the word might be fulfilled which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. So here's another word of comfort Jesus is giving as he promises them they're going to hate you. Hey, he says, it's even biblical. And once again, he is quoting the Old Testament to underscore and to verify his own statements. And so he quotes either Psalm 35, 19 or Psalm 69, 4. I'll, I'll read both of them. In six, Psalm 35, 19, 
uh, it says, Let them not rejoice over me who are wrongfully my enemies, let them, nor let them wink with the eye who hate me without cause. Psalm 69.4, Those who hate me without cause are more than the hairs of my head. Sometimes we may feel like that. Everywhere I turn are people that hate me. Without cause. And so Jesus is saying, so when they hate you without cause, that's biblical. The problem is God, not you, ultimately. The the, the key phrase is without cause. Enmity of the world is baseless. Because the real issue is a heart issue. It's the, hard, it's, the, it's the angry response of a hard conscience to convicting truth. And that's why it's so interesting. You might, your old crowd might come and say, hey, let's go do what we used to do. And you say, no, I don't do that anymore. Oh, you're judging me. Did I say anything about you? I just said, I don't do that anymore. You're being judgmental. I beg your pardon. It sounds to me like you're judging me. <laughs> but that discussion, you're not going to get anywhere. Hater. What they're really is saying is, I feel convicted by your life decisions. You're confronting me with truth. H.J. Ironside related to this Bible preacher of a previous generation. He tells the story of a, uh, this native uh, chiefess. Have you ever heard that expression before? Chiefess. I had to look it up. It's a real word. I think of chief ton. Apparently that's the masculine. Chief S is the feminine. So she was a female ruler, I guess. I guess nowadays we'd say Chief X. No. Uh, anyway, this, 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 this prominent native came to visit the missionary, and she noticed she looked over at a tree, and he had a mirror sitting in the tree. And she was struck by that and said, how is it that that tree um, is showing me this, this uh, all this, this evil ugly looking thing problem is she was looking at her own face with all the war paints and such upon it and she was horrified by what she saw and she said who is this horrible looking person inside that tree and the missionary said uh, it's not in the tree it's a glass reflecting your own face it took some convincing finally she said uh, I must have the glass and he said, well, that, that's all right. And he said, I will pay for it. Oh, you know, sometimes he got in the situation and realized, I'm going to have more problems if I don't sell it than if I do. So he said, okay, here's the price. You, I'll sell you this, this, this mirror for, for this price. And so she bought it, and she proceeded to shatter it on the ground because she didn't like what it showed her. That's kind of a picture of our world's response to believers. I don't, I, I, you're a hater because you show me who I am in the eyes of God. And that's hate. That's insulting, to quote the Finnish prosecutor. So as we bring this to a close, let me just mention a few things. The tolerance of Christianity in the West is withering. More so in Europe. Recently, when I was up visiting uh, with my brother as, as in his last days uh, in, in Seattle, I was just struck by the lostness of the culture around me. I, I was stunned. One, we actually were in a restaurant, and someone at the other table, actually, they bowed their heads before the meal. 
But overall, it's, it's a much, much more godless society just up in the Northwest. Many consider it the least churched and least religious part of, of our country. But it's a growing trend. But again, the issue is not so much theology or philosophy even, but the issue that really is the sticking point, isn't it, is ethics and morality. They're not arguing about whether God exists and what his power and attributes are. It's truth and right and wrong. But that hostility is real and it's growing. That worldview is reflected in what's been happening on our college campuses with the whole Israel thing. Have you heard about what's been going on at the Harvard campus? Harvard, one of the premier, most respected universities. When this horrific, brutal, vile violence was brought against Israeli citizens, unarmed, non-militant families, the response of the Harvard academics, all the students, something like 20 different student groups, maybe it's 15, student groups on campus agreed together that Israel brought it on themselves. It's called victim blaming. But Israel basically deserved this and their actions brought it on themselves. That's hate speech. And that's coming from one of those prominent campuses in America. One of the greatest hotbeds of of hostility to the Jews is the American college campus. And with that, one of the greatest places of hostility to biblical Christianity is the American college campus. And the problem is, coming out of those college campuses are the teachers that will come to our schools, are the workers that will come into our workplaces and bring what they have been poisoned with into our culture more and more. And they'll go off to seminary and they'll come into our churches and preach the same thing from the pulpits. The tolerance of Christianity in our culture is withering we're going to face more and more real hostility. Again, um, the hostility to Israel is, is, is a thermometer of that. Because this, what did the psalmist say in Psalm 83? They hate you, and therefore they hate your people. Consider what God said to Israel in Zechariah chapter 2. Uh, verses 7 to 9 is the passage in its fuller context. But this is what the prophet said to Israel. He who touches you touches the apple of God's eye. Now, the apple of the eye, you know, we might use, we don't use that expression a lot, but oh, he's he's the apple of her eye. Now, that's the most treasured thing. Literally, it's the pupil. Don't you hate it if someone wants to touch your pupil? Now, I go in for my, you know, eye checkups, and the first thing they say is, okay, Hold still. I'm gonna, we're going to touch your eye with this little... And there's always this, hold still. Don't. Keep your eye open. Because <laughs> they want to touch your eye. You're not supposed to touch my eye. 
and I won't go into when they come at me with a needle and put want to poke it in there. That's, but, but here's the point. What God is saying, you want something precious. God says of Israel, they're the apple of my eye. And so when you see a culture that hates the Jews, you see a culture that hates God. Our Jewish friends wrestle with that when we look at Hit- they look at Hitler. Because they look at Hitler and say he was a Christian. And one of the things I often would, I've mentioned before, that I, I, I found that a fruitful way of explaining the gospel. Let me explain to you what a Christian is. And I can show you how Hitler was no Christian. Now, Hitler was, a, was, was not a Christian man. The Nazis were not a Christian people because they hated the God of the Bible. We're, we're living in increasingly hostile culture. The news will tell you that. So Jesus is telling his disciples, don't be surprised. Don't be discouraged. Don't be bitter or vengeful. When you feel that animosity, may I even suggest you may want to say, thank God that they see something in me that reminds them of Christ. (laughs) I hide it pretty well, but somehow they're picking up on it. Thank you, Lord. May it grow. Stand firm. A friend of mine in the college campus one time, the professor was railing against Christianity. Uh, This was back at the University of California, Davis, years ago. And so my friend just stood up in the middle of the lecture. And the lecture went on for a while and finally said, "Uh, do you have something to say? He said, no, I'm just standing with Christ. (laughs) He he, He just felt a compulsion to make some kind of a statement in the face of the open hostility. Be emboldened. We don't have to be offensive. But be... Don't be apologetic. Speak the truth in love. Quote Christ. Quote his word. Be committed to represent Christ in purity and integrity. This dark world does not need more darkness. This lost world does not need us to act like lost people. Let them see Christ. And I confess, the lens is smudged. But by God's grace, may they see in us enough of Christ to see their need for Christ. May God, may, may God keep Terra Bible Church faithful in that direction. And perhaps if you're hearing these words and... and maybe you're even saying, but, but I don't know Christ like that. May I say something to you? Don't respond with, you're hating me. You're criticizing me. You're pushing away. Oh, no, no, I'm inviting you. If you are hearing these things and recognize you don't know God in the way I've been describing, don't push back, but pull in. Hear the invitation of Jesus Christ who's calling you and inviting you to trust in him as Savior. Ask God 
to open your eyes and heart. Don't push away. Don't reject him. But draw near through Christ. Our Father, we thank you for what our Lord taught us. These are hard truths, but we see them, Father. Father, may this church be found faithful. May I be found faithful. May we be found faithful. May our, faith, our families be found faithful. And Lord, as I think of our brothers and sisters in all parts of the world that are facing even more open hostility, God, give them grace, comfort, courage, protection. And may they be found faithful to the glory of Jesus Christ, sent by you in love for us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.